Welcome to episode number 216. This is the episode where we are having part two of our getting homegrown and raised beef, either from the butcher that you're getting from a local farmer and or that you are raising yourself. So if you missed part one, you're going to want to make sure that you go back and listen to episode number 214, which is part one of this series. And that's what you need to know on Butcher Day to know what cuts are the best that you can get only on Butcher Day and what to tell the butcher and to do with those. And then this episode number part two is where we're diving in what you need to know when you are giving the butcher your cut and wrap order. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris. I am the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, which is available for pre-order and is going to be shipping to everywhere the beginning of January, and that is The Family Garden Plan. I am so thrilled to have you here with me. This is where, on the Pioneering Today podcast, we are all about living homegrown and handmade, using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food, no matter where you live. And as promised, today we are getting into everything you need to know to tell your butcher to make sure that you are getting, one, the most out of the animal, but really the cuts that you and your family are going to use and want the most. Now, this may vary for some, and I'm going to walk you through. We're going to talk through that part as we go through the rest of this episode. But I want to give you a good um, overview of all of the different cuts, and then I will share with you the cuts that we get and the cuts that are available, and then also to tell you a couple of things that you're going to want to make sure that you tell the butcher to give you that is not part of the normal cut and wrap. And unless you specifically tell them we want these items and these cuts, they will not ask you about them because a lot of people, unless you're a homesteader and you're like, I'm going to get everything out of this animal, they don't know to ask for them or they don't want them or they're not going to use them. So we're going to go over that too because my goal with this is for you to get as much as possible out of the animal that you have raised and or purchased from a local farmer. So one of the things that you need to know about when you talk to the butcher and you give them your cut and wrap order is they're going to ask you first when you have your meat ground up into hamburger, what size packages do you want that in? Typically, you're going to tell them one pound, one and a half pound or two pounds. And that, again, is going to depend on your family size and how much meat you usually use Um, when you're pulling meat out and preparing it. Now, for us, with our family of four, we still usually just do a one-pound pack package with our ground meat for our hamburger. I do that with my sausage, and then we do that as well with the hamburger. I still just do the one-pound mark. Because if I need two pounds, for if we're doing like I'm doing a potluck or we're hosting a dinner or I need to batch a whole bunch of things and I'm doubling a recipe then I can go ahead and grab two packages out and know that that's two pounds, no problem. But for the majority of the time, especially if we're doing things like, you know, hamburgers or spaghetti or meatballs or something like that, usually for our family size, one pound is still very sufficient for us. The other thing that they're going to ask you, and this is how do you want your steaks packaged? Now, we're going to get into the steak of your 
the cuts of your actual steak, but this is how many steaks do you want per package. Again, for our family of four, usually I like to have two steaks per package and we are able to, my daughter's young enough and my son's starting to hit those teenage years and he is eating more. But even with that, we usually are able to divide up the two steaks um, between the four of us and that takes us through one meal. There's no leftovers normally. <laughs> we usually eat all of it. Uh, but that, that two steaks is enough to take us through an entire meal. Now, again, that's just going to depend on your family size. So you can tell them I want three steaks per package, four steaks per package, five steaks, etc. cetera. Uh, you kind of get the picture on your family size on how you want to do that. But that's something that they'll ask you right in the beginning. Now, if you didn't listen to our prior episode number 214, where we talk about what you need to tell the butcher on butcher day, ideally, you have had that meat aged, dry aged at the butcher's for at least 14, if not 21 days. So three weeks is really preferable. But if it's a very busy season for the butcher and most people are butchering in the fall, and we talked about that in that episode too, they might only be able to age it for you for 14 days, but that is still much better than seven or none at all. But before it hits that part, usually after they've had the animal within that first week when it's at the actual butchers and it's in the cold storage, they are going to need that cut and wrap order. They want it done. Uh, they want the cut and wrap order ahead of time so they can put it with your beef. So that on the day that the butcher is actually cutting and wrapping everything, they've already got the order there ready and waiting to go. So just know that when your meat goes with the butcher on kill day and then goes to the butcher within that first week, usually within the first couple of days, they want you to call in with that cut and wrap order. If you don't call them, they are going to be calling you. So when we are looking at the cow, now this is the following, and most of your, obviously your butchers and everything are going to follow. This is that, is the USDA divides the cow into eight regions. These can be referred to as primal or main cuts, but the eight main cuts of meat come from the chuck, the rib, the loin, round, flank, short plate, brisket, and shank. Now, a few of those you might have, you know, recognized, obviously, the rib you probably are familiar with, you've probably heard of chuck roast, um, some of those different flank steaks, the brisket. So some of these you are probably familiar with, but we're going to get down into the more nitty gritty. But this is how the, the cow, when the butcher is looking at it, those main, main eight areas that it's divided up into. Now, if you are a visual person, I will be linking to in today's blog post that goes with this episode, which is at melissknorris.com forward slash 216, because this is episode number 216. I'm going to be linking to some great diagrams and resources if you're a visual person and you want to look at some things in the cuts and how it's divided out. So go make sure you check the resource section at that, that link um, for this episode for that. But let's get into. So you've got these eight main sections, and then they get further divided into subprimal cuts. So these are cuts that are your cut of meat that is usually larger than a steak roast or when we're getting our single cuts, but it's definitely smaller than what would be like our half or a quarter side of a beef. And from there, then we're cut into our individual size and portion cuts, which is what you're familiar with when you go to the store or say, I want a T-bone steak, for example. 
Now, when we're looking at the expensive cuts, and this is not if you are butchering it yourself or getting it from a butcher from another far- from a farmer that's raised it for you, because that you're just paying the hanging weight. So you're paying by the pound, but it's the same amount per pound no matter what. So that's why I shared in that previous episode how you can save a lot of money if you can find a local farmer because you're not paying more for those expensive cuts. It's just across the board per pound, a set amount. Now, it's important to note, most of the time you're going to be paying the farmer, if you're purchasing this beef, not raising it yourself, you will be paying the farmer a set upon amount per pound. And this really varies region by region. Um, so I, I, you know, I hear other parts of the U.S. will say, well, I only pay blah, blah, blah such a pound. And in this area where I'm at, it, you know, can be anywhere from four to six dollars a pound. So it very much varies. But the one thing to keep in mind, now we only raise ours doing grass-fed, organic, totally pasture-raised animals. So my animals are grass-fed from start to finish. They're finished grass-fed. That is typically, you're paying more for that per pound. So it's important to know when you're going to the grocery store, if you're looking at the absolute cheapest price on meat that you can find, you're going to be paying more when it's raised by a farmer who's, who's you know, not using a ton of grain um, and the cows are like in a feedlot. There's a price difference there. But I, I, I keep recapping back, but I want to stress the importance of that. The actual meat that you're getting in the nutrition and the omega-3s versus the omega-6s, like you, you can't touch them. There is a very real difference there when it comes to your health and the flavor and all the things. So, okay, got that, got that part covered. So the most expensive cuts, which you are not paying more, are in the center. So this is your loin and your ribs section. Those are normally the most tender. They're more tender than the outer section. Because the outer section of the cow, you think about it, it's the legs and the neck and where they're moving, it's more muscles and muscles mean firmer and therefore usually they're more tough. But if you'd get that aging process in, it does help even the parts that are considered more firm to become more tender. And while we were talking on price just a second ago, so you will pay the farmer per pound and it's usually the hanging weight right after they have butchered and gutted the animal, then it's the hanging weight. You're going to pay them per pound for that. And then you have a separate fee when you go and pick up your meat from the butcher. So you're going to have the kill fee. So the butcher charges a kill fee. And if you are doing half the beef, then you're going to pay half the kill fee. If you're doing the whole beef, you're going to pay the whole kill fee. If you're doing a quarter of the beef, you're only paying a quarter of the kill fee, right? And then you're going to be paying per pound cut and wrap. And usually, I want to say our butcher currently for cut and wrap per pound was, I think it was 60 or 65 cents when we picked up in October. I think it went to 65 cents. Prior to that, it was 60 cents. So just so you kind of have an, a little bit of idea there on the cost and, and figuring out and where you're paying where, just to give you an idea. If you're, if you're not familiar, you've not done this, then you'll know what to expect if you have a local farmer that's raising your beef for you. Okay. So we're going to get into the actual cuts of meat now that are available to you because you have a lot of different cuts from the center that you can tell them that you want. But usually there's more cuts per area of meat than you're going to be able to get. And so I'm going to walk you through what I mean by that here in just a second. And then sometimes this is where it gets even more confusing, (laughs) which is not really confusing. And usually a, a butcher 
will walk you through if you have questions when you're doing your cut and wrap order and ask them. Usually they will be able to answer your question to let to kind of help guide you to what is going to be the best cut. But sometimes they can have different names. The short loin is a great example of this. A T-bone and a porterhouse steak are both from the short loin and actually are the same steak. But here's the difference. The porterhouse is a bigger version of the T-bone. And when you cut into, if you've ever cut into a T-bone, which I'm sure most of us have seen a T-bone, it's called that because the bone looks like a T. It's divided. Well, on one side of the T-bone, you have the filet and a strip steak. And one side of the T-bone is much more tender because it's that true center portion where the other side is usually tougher because it's more from that outer section. And a strip steak has a lot of different names. So sometimes you'll hear a strip steak referred to as a New York strip, Casey strip, hotel steak. So you can have some different variations of the name, but they kind of mean the same thing. The tender cuts from the center are usually a T-bone steak, a strip steak, porterhouse steak, ribeye, rib steak, and filet mignon. Now I'll tell you the cuts that we get Because when we have the T-bone steak, we all want the super tender side and none of us want the tough side. So we don't actually get T-bone steaks anymore. Instead, we get the rib steak. That is our favorite. We adore a rib steak. We feel like the flavor and the texture is just amazing. So we get the rib steaks and then we also get the New Yorks. For our family size and the texture and the flavor, those are our favorite favorite cuts when we're going for our steaks. So that's what we have those cut into. Okay, so when we're talking about the chuck, this is from the shoulder of the animal. And just in case you were curious, if you're buying a half or a quarter of a beef, it's not like you just get the front quarter and you're only going to get cuts from the chuck. They take all of the different areas, those eight main areas, and then they divide them up evenly between four or two. If you're getting a quarter, a half, or obviously if you're getting the whole cow, you're going to get all the cuts. But Just to clarify there, because I've had people ask me that before. So no worries if you're getting a quarter of a beef, you're going to get areas from cuts from all of the areas. Okay, so your chuck, this comes from the shoulder and can sometimes be considered tough, but super flavorful. The types of cuts that you're normally going to get off of the chuck is, of course, hamburger. So the more tough areas, usually those are the areas that are going to be ground into hamburger meat because we're not, obviously, it's ground up. We're not worried about the tenderness of a steak or a roast, etc. But you'll oftentimes see your ground chuck hamburger, flat iron steaks, chuck short ribs, shoulder tender medallions, your chuck pot roast, blade roast, boneless chuck short ribs, stew meat, country style ribs, top blade steak, chuck eye roast, arm pot roast, shoulder pot roast, mock tender roast, Underblade roast, seven bone pot roast, Blanken style ribs, and a cross rib roast. We do not get all of those cuts. <laughs> so just because you all of these cuts come from a certain area does not mean that you're going to get every single one of those cuts. And in fact, most times you can't get every single one of those cuts because it's to get the other type of cut, it's going to be using some of that section. It just depends on which ones you want is how they're going to be cutting that area, which probably did not sound very clear, but <laughs> let's let's dive into this. So for that area, for us, I have come to realize that I we love pot roasts. 
Pot roasts are the most tender. They have the most flavor. They cook the most consistently like melt in your mouth. We love pot roasts. In fact, that is my son's, one of his favorite things to ask for dinner is pot roast. Love them. We don't really like the flat iron steaks, top blade steak. We're not into the steaks from the chuck because in my, our opinion, they're going to be tougher. They're not as tender. And so we don't want them. So from this area, I definitely do like to get stew meat. And that's another thing they'll ask you for the stew meat, like how many pounds of stew meat do you want in a package? Same as your steaks and your hamburger. So I love to do, I like to get stew meat because obviously I like to put it in stews where you're simmering it all day. And I like to do um, a barbecued beef actually out of stew meat. It can work very well. So I will get my stew meat and my pot roast from the chuck area. And then anything that is left, I have them grind into hamburger. So I'm only taking the choice roasts, in my opinion, which are the pot roasts and some stew meat, depending on how many packages and pounds of stew meat I want. And then the rest from the chuck area, we have ground up into hamburger. Next up is the brisket. And this is the breast of the animal, be it a steer or a cow. And ideally, you're good. most of the time, you're going to be butchering steers because the steer is going to give you more meat per animal because steers grow larger and faster than a cow. So you can have a two-year-old steer and it's going to outweigh a two-year-old cow by a lot and you're just going to get more meat. And so for the farmer's advantage, then you also, uh, the steers are advantageous because they're, they're more cost-effective. And if you're looking to grow your herd, you don't want to be butchering your cows because you're going to be breeding them back to have more babies. However, there have been oftentimes, because we have a smaller herd, that all we've gotten for two years in a row with our calves have been heifers, which is an unbred cow is what a heifer is before it's been bred before. And so we will, if we, I'm not going to, you know, for me, it's not worth it to try and take that heifer to market, to auction and sell that heifer or cow and then try to buy a steer. <laughs> like for us, we do butcher our cows if we don't get any steers with the way that our breeding falls. And I have never noticed a difference in flavor and or taste. But typically when you're, you're talking, most of the time, it's going to be referred to as like a steer's breast, but it can be a cow's as well. Now, usually the, the brisket has a lot of fat in the, in the breast area. It's going to have more fat, can be kind of tough. Again, it's, it's a must, you know, the, the breast area can be a muscle area. So a lot of times this is a part that you're going to tenderize, um, you know, barbecue everything, barbecue brisket, right? Corned beef, your pastrami comes from this area. And we don't usually get the brisket. Honestly, I just have that ground up into hamburger because we use a lot of hamburger. Hamburger, I feel, is probably one of the most versatile things that you get from the cow. And we love hamburger in all different types of recipes and ways. And so just personal preference, we don't usually get the brisket. But if you love brisket, and you plan on doing, you know, the corned beef and the pastrami or want to do a big barbecue, it can be something. And we change our cut and wrap orders, too. I also want to say that. So this is like our, our normal. But if we know we're having like a special event, sometimes we'll have some of these different parts um, kept that in other years I just would have ground into hamburger. OK, third area is the shank. So this is your animal's forearm, which falls in front of the brisket. And usually this is considered like the toughest cut of the meat. So this is where you're going to get your soup bones from, which you definitely want to get. Tell them you want those soup bones because one, the meat is actually really good on a soup bone. We'll cook that up and I will make broth out of it. So obviously soup bones make great soup and most great broth. 
But then after I've made my broth with it, which cooks the meat that's on the soup bone, and a lot of the soup bones, you'll actually get a decent amount of meat. It's not just bone. You'll be surprised if you've never had that before. So I'll cook it and make my broth, which then cooks the meat that's attached to the soup bone. And then once that's done, I remove the bone and then and it can be um, it can be fatty, too. And so I will uh, let it cool just enough that I can take the meat off and separate the fat from both the bone and the fat. And then I'll take that meat and I'll put it back in and I'll make our soup from it. So it has the meat, but then it also got all of the lovely broth from the bone. And then any extra meat that's left on there that I don't have put into the soup bones, usually, again, I have put into hamburger. Next up is the ribs. And I think we're all pretty familiar with the rib section on an animal. So it's the ribs and the backbone. Now, there's 13 pairs of ribs, but it's the last section, uh, 6 through 12, that are in the primal section of the ribs. The others are in what we consider the chuck cut that we talked about already. So within the ribs, you've got lots of flavoring and lots of marbling, which is why if you are like me, ribs, oh, baby, that is one of my favorite things. Barbecued ribs. Oh, you guys, that's one of my favorites. I love that. So the types of cuts that you typically can get off of the ribs are Delmonico steak. And I may have mispronounced that one because it's honestly not one that we get and I'm super familiar with. You've got the boneless ribeye roast, cowboy steaks ribeye steaks, beef short ribs, rib roast, and back ribs. And that marbling not only gives phenomenal flavor, but we know that marbling also helps give us that really great tender cuts. So for us, definitely those ribeye steaks. Love the ribeye steaks. Beef short ribs, for sure. And then if you're used to looking at like a, you know, a big thing of ribs, then that's going to be the back rib cut. And I don't get the ribeye roast because I want the ribeye steaks. And you can get a ribeye steak with a bone in, and they also have the ribeye steak boneless. And those are the cuts that we get in that area. Okay, the next section, this is number five in case you were counting that we've got, is the plate section. This is a place of your short ribs. And we will often get short ribs because, did I mention I liked ribs? (laughs) This is found near the abdomen, and it's a little bit fattier. And this is where a lot of your meat is cut for fajitas, pastrami, skirt steak, Philadelphia steak, and short ribs. Now, I like, as I mentioned, I like to get the short ribs because I definitely will, we cook those up quite a bit. And you can also get this cut into uh, carne asada, which is one of, we really love a good carne asada. And so that's like a, a very thin, uh, you can use it for fajitas, you can use it for tacos. Um, that's another really fun cut that we like to get. So from that plate area, that's usually what we get in that area is the short ribs and then either some like the fajita or the carne asada cut from the butcher. Okay, number six. Now we did kind of talk about this one already, and this is the loin area, which we have went over some. But again, this is the most expensive cuts. This is located at the top directly above the ribs. And because it's not really heavily used, it's very tender. So you've got the short loin and the sirloin. So from the short loin, we already talked about that. That was your filet mignon, tenderloin steak, T-bone steak, porterhouse steak, strip steak, New York strip steak, KC steak, and top loin steak. And from those cuts, we get the New York. That is our favorite. And then you have the sirloin area. So these are both from the loin. 
But the sirloin is thought to maybe be a little bit less tender than the short loin, but it's got a lot of flavor. And so some common cuts from this area are your sirloin steak, center cut sirloin steak, top sirloin, bottom sirloin, ball tip steak, and a tri-tip steak. Now, area number seven, which is the round, this is your lean and inexpensive cuts typically by the hind end and the hind legs. So it can sometimes be tough, but not usually super tough. And this is also, again, when you get into those leg and shoulder areas where a lot of time you're going to see ground beef done from here. But some of the cuts that you can get off of this area is round steak, eye of round, tip steak, top roast, top round, bottom round roast, and boneless rump roast. And personally, I don't care if I slow cook that son of a gun. I do not think that they ever get super tender and good when you are doing the rump roast or the round roast like it, the the that area is just tough and so I don't even bother we have it put all into hamburger now that's just personal preference and if you know how to cook a mean like melt in your mouth delicious boneless rump roast please do share it with me because maybe I'm missing out on something but in all of the years I just finally gave up on it and said forget it just give me my pot roast okay number 8 is our flank so the flank is below the loin it has no beans no beans. Well, it doesn't have any beans, that's for sure. But it has no bones is what I meant to say. It is lean, flavorful, but tough. And it used to be pretty inexpensive, but people now are really, um, well, I should say probably not homesteaders because we all like our lard. We like our tallow. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We like our butter. We like our cream. Like We ain't afraid of good grass-fed fat that is a great source of omega-3s. But Society as a whole is still like in that lean thing. And so some of these cuts that you find in the flank have became more popular and therefore more expensive because they're leaner. So a lot of times the flank steak and the London broil are your two main cuts that are from the flank area. Now with those tougher areas, like I said, that oftentimes we're not having done into steak cuts or we're not having them done into roasts. So they can do them definitely into your ground beef and your ground beef patties. We can do them into stew meat. You can have them do them into kebabs, which are probably a little bit more evenly cut and a little bit smaller than your stew meat. You can have them do them in the strips or like I said, those more like fajita cuts or the carne asada cuts. You can ask and request for those as well. So those are your eight areas and how they're broken down into those different cuts. And I gave you guys my favorite cuts. And we will have a full written blog post with this because I know this is a lot to listen to. And you're like, okay, well, I'm ready to do my cut and wrap order. But gosh, what were what were those things again? So if you go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 216 for episode number 216, we'll have the written blog post that goes with this episode as well as if you didn't grab it when you listen to the part one of this series, we're on part two right now, um, we have got a great chart that shows you how much square feet you need for freezers, how much freezer space basically do you need for a whole cow, half cow, quarter cow. And then we went into the other animals as well. So how much for how many whole chicken, you know, how much square feet on average does a whole chicken take um, if you're doing a pig? Those different things so that you know how much freezer space you need when you're getting your meat or planning to do it this way, which I hope you are, even if you can't raise it yourself. Because as I said, it is so much more economical, um, better flavor, just 
all the way around if you can find a local farmer to do it for you. And you can contact your local butcher. So find a local butcher. Oftentimes, sometimes they will sell meat independently too. But if you don't know of any local farmers, that can be a source like you can ask them and they may be able to point you in the direction of some local farmers so that you can go this route. Okay, now we need to talk about the cuts that aren't normal that we haven't covered yet that you're probably not familiar with. And unless somebody tells you, like I had no idea that you need to ask for these things. Now, part of the part of the way that I know quite a bit of this is because I was born and raised raising our own beef. Uh, my dad always, and I talked about that again. I know I keep, I'm like broken record. I talked about this in part one, <laughs> but I did. Um, born and raised having our own beef. So a lot of that, w- we just knew, I knew because that's what we always did growing up. And then some of it, as I've gotten further into us, my husband and I going on uh, two decades now, we are over 20 years um, together and using and raising and getting our beef this way and not from the store then I realized that there's even more on the animal that I want to use. Now, a lot of that, we talked about the cuts that you're going to want to keep on butcher day itself. But even when you're calling in your cut and wrap order, there's a couple of things that you need to know that a lot of people don't know. And that is one, you want to tell them. Now, a lot of people think that this is what your suit bones are, but it's not. Your suit bone has meat on it and comes from that area like we talked about just earlier. But you also want to ask them for, then there's two terms, so you can tell them both, that you want the marrow bones and or you want the femur bones. So this is the big leg bone of the cow, and this is not what your suit bones come from. Um, So you tell them, "I I want the femur bone and or the marrow bones. There will be no meat attached to them. They will be just bone. And they will... Ideally, so you can double check and ask with your butcher. Our butcher does without me asking, but they will cut them up into about, oh, probably about two to three inch thick um, chunks. <laughs> or um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this if you never said, but yeah, basically chunks, like two to three inch thick chunks of the bone. So they're basically chopping that bone up for you. Now, the reason that you want this is it makes beautiful, beautiful broth, you guys. Because the bone's been cut open and so you've got all of that marrow on that large bone like that, on that femur bone, that leg bone, you have a lot of marrow in those bones because it's a larger bone. When you make your homemade broth, you are going to get a gel like no tomorrow. It's gorgeous. You're going to love it. But the other way that you can eat them is my son and my husband actually love the marrow. So they will roast those bones and um, just eat the marrow as like a delicacy. A lot of other nations and cultures love bone marrow and they will use them that way too. But you do want to ask the butcher um, to chop them up for you because it's, you know, then you can actually access the marrow and you can easily roast them because the bone has been cracked open in easy, manageable chunks. And then that way you can just take out as many bones as you need for however large of a pot or batch of broth that you're making um, and not to have this huge bone, like, how can I fit this in anything? So definitely ask for that, because a lot of people think that um, they're like, oh, well, that's my suit bones. No, there's more bone. Ask for the femur bone or the marrow bones. And then the other thing, this you may or may not want to get, totally up to you, but that is the tallow. So tallow is the fat from a cow. When it's a pig, we're calling it's called lard. With beef, it's called tallow. 
Now, tallow, some people think um, that it's a lot smellier and it's a lot harder. They don't want to like lard is preferred usually for baking. So beef fat, your tallow is not something that you're typically going to be making your pie crust um, and some of your different things like that, like you would be with your lard. But you can definitely use some of that tallow if you want to use it for frying and for cooking. But what most people like to use tallow for and what we get our tallow for is your salve and or balm and soap making. So you're going to render it down just like you would lard. Um, But it is a great source. Back in the day, the pioneer days, of course, they also use that fat as their candles. Now, a lot of times people feel like tallow is smellier. It's stinkier than lard. And so they don't like to use it for candles because of the, the smell, but definitely very nourishing to the skin. So it's great to use in your soaps and some of your different bulbs and salves and ointments can be fabulous for that. And if soap making and learning how to make your own homemade herbal balms and salves and even candles, all of that, then you are definitely going to want to check out, which I'm just saying, we're having on a really good special right now. My homemade bath and body system that walks you through making your own homemade soap, making your own candles, and making your different whipped body butters and salves and balms and ointments. So I will have a link for that in the blog post that goes with all of this other stuff today. So you can go ahead and check that out. Now, when you ask for the tallow, there's a couple ways that people will usually ask for, especially lard. Some people like the fat ground up. So they'll ask the butcher, can you grind it for me? Because the smaller the pieces are, the easier it is to melt evenly when you're rendering it down um, to get the impurities out and to get the actual purified tallow and or lard if you're going from a pig. Um, So you, you, but I actually, I prefer mine to be in chunks and then I will chop it up into like cube form. instead of the ground form because I feel like when it's ground up that there is more meat in the fat than when I ask for it in the strips. I don't get as much meat and I don't want as much meat in that because obviously that's what I'm trying to get out. I want the pure fat when I'm going for the tallow and or the lard. But if you don't ask for that, you will not get the femur marrow bones and you won't get the tallow either. So you definitely need to ask for that. Okay, guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. This was part two. And if you want more info, let me know. If you're curious, I know I I talked a little bit some about how we kind of cook the different things. But if you would like more info, you're like, I want to know exactly how you cook and you use all of these different cuts, let me know. And if there's enough of you who are interested, then I will totally do a podcast episode on it. But if you're like, I already got my favorite ways, then I don't want to devote a whole episode to that. So let me know. You can let me know in a review by whatever app you're listening to this episode. You can let me know in the comments at the blog post that goes with this, or you can shoot me an email or, you know, look, send me a message on social media. But I would love to know what you need help learning with. And if you need ways to cook it and the ways that we cook it and that type of a thing, let me know and I can do an episode on that. And if you're not subscribed, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you get our new episodes as soon as they come out because life is busy and oftentimes we forget to go and check things and I would not want you to miss out on any of the info. And thank you so much for listening. Okay, 
We're on to this portion of the podcast, which is our verse of the week. And this week we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayers. And there's a couple of reasons why I like this verse. Well, I kind of like all the verses. Well, let's be honest. Some verses I like more than others. (laughs) But one of the reasons that this verse spoke to me and I wanted to share it with you this week on the podcast, and that is the steadfastly persevered. So not just persevered, but steadfastly, like all the time you've dug your heels in and you are persevering. Because it can be, I mean, there's so much going on in all of our lives from, you know, spiritual aspects to health aspects to society to, oh, we, I hate to even say the word, to government. You know, there's all of these areas, all of these different facets of our life. And sometimes we just get weighed down in the day-to-day or it may be special circumstances that we're going through. And I think all of us have those time periods when we kind of feel discouraged and we're like, does this even matter? Is it making a difference? Why am I doing this? But here's what I know to be true. Yes, it does make a difference. Living this lifestyle, choosing to do the healthier thing, which is not always the easiest thing because homesteading, you guys, it is simple. It is at its core simple. It is not always easy. Easy is going and getting a bag of chips off the store shelf. Easy is buying a big old package of cookies off the store shelf. Making it from scratch, grinding your own wheat, rendering down your own fat source to make it. It's simple, but it's not necessarily always easy. But honestly, in the long run, so when we're not caught up in just the, the moment that we're in, when we're having a discouraging or busy time, oh my goodness, it is so worth it. I was traveling um, on a week-long trip with, flew across the country actually and was totally gone at hotels, didn't even have the option of, you know, like where you've got a, a kitchenette place where you're at where you can cook. And just from that week, and I even took my own organic fat sources to have with me with my coffee in the morning, but just that week and still of making really good health choices as far as what I was choosing to eat. So not a ton of dessert and, you know, that type of thing, but just eating things that weren't sourced and weren't grown at home and weren't grown with those, you know, grass-fed organic practices. You guys, one week, I could tell a difference in my health and especially my gut health in one week. So yes, it totally makes a difference and it is worth it to steadfastly persevere. And the other part of this verse, now I know that this verse is is definitely geared towards your walk with, with Jesus and your Christian walk, but I think it applies definitely obviously to that, but it applies to the other areas of our life as well. Anything that we want to grow in, And that is they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles. And so that's making sure that we're immersing ourselves or in areas where we are getting fed the things that we want to do. So you're listening to this podcast right now. You are totally getting instruction 
and fellowship by a community. Now, not as much fellowship because I realize you're most likely you're like me and you've got earbuds in or you're listening to this while you're doing something, but you are definitely getting instruction and as well inspiration. And one of the most powerful things that I have noticed about the members who are in the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership, one of the things that they all talk about the most that has made uh, the biggest difference, not just the instructions that they get, because it is definitely a video tutorial where I teach you step-by-step with videos and PDF download guides and walk you through doing things. But it has been the community that they didn't know that they would get but now with such an integral part of their homesteading journey, the support and the knowledge from other people who get this way of life and give them just, it's like it's a family who totally understands this part and gives them the fellowship that we really need and crave, as well as the inspiration. And some of them, oh my goodness, it really is like having a second family. And so for those of you who are in the Academy, you totally know what I'm talking about. And thank you so much for helping me create that kind of community. And if that's something that you've been searching for, the instruction part and the fellowship, then you definitely are going to want to check it out. You'll see a link there on the website. You can check out more details of the Academy um, for the next time that we open to see if it's something that you would be interested in. But regardless... Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for letting me be a part of your instruction and your fellowship. And I definitely hope that you are steadfastly persevering no matter what spot you're on in this journey because it is so worth it. And then the other thing, if you are like me and you believe in Jesus and are a Christian, the bottom portion, the last part of this verse is and prayers. And my pastor made a distinction on that part this week that I wanted to share with you. And that is the plural, the S on there. Because oftentimes I am a pray at once kind of girl. And our prayers, plural, not only is it, and there's something about having faith, right? That we pray something in faith in Jesus name and we believe it will be done. Yes, I absolutely do agree with that. There are some things that require multiple prayers, and there's some areas of our life that we are praying about constantly, which is another Bible verse, to pray without ceasing. But it's lots of different kinds of prayers as well. So it's not just a, you know, bless this, bless this food before we eat, or the prayer you say at bedtime before you lay down and fall asleep, but it's prayers, all the prayers, so that we remember to be in prayer. And sometimes it is praying more than once, but covering all the different areas of our life. So thank you for being with me on this episode. I know that it got to be a long one, but I felt we really needed to dive into this and I will be back here with you next week. Bye for now.